0: So we're in Matthew chapter 5, verse 31 through 37, and we're talking about the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is telling us how to live in this world as Christians in a dark world. In the kingdom of darkness, we are light and salt that is to impact and affect our world. Uh, we, We talked about, last time we talked about adultery. And it was, I know it's a hard talk, and this time we're going to be talking about divorce and oaths. It doesn't get any easier, <laughs> okay? So divorce and oaths. So if you would, stand for the teaching of God's Word. Matthew 5, 31 through 37. Furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot take one hair, make one hair white or black, but let your yes be yes and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. This is the word of God. God. (laughs) Thank you. Please be seated. Our Father, we thank you for this word. And Lord, I know that this is an important subject that people need to hear. And for whatever reason, you have gathered these people here for this day. And on Facebook or on the website, somebody else will hear this. These are the words of the living God telling us what he desires from his people. We've talked about adultery. We've talked about murder. Now we're going to talk about divorce and oaths. Holy Spirit, open our eyes to the truth of your word. May we hear and may we heed what you are teaching us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, theme of Matthew is, Jesus is the promised king. Jesus is the promised king. And as you know, we've been, as I said, we've been doing the Sermon on the Mount. And actually, Jesus started out, ended his introduction with that he came to fulfill the law. And when he said he came to fulfill the law, that means that he came to really give the interpretation of the law. And each one of these six things that he's addressing, he is saying, you have heard it said, but I say to you, but I say to you. And it goes to the heart of the issue, goes to the internal part of the, of the being of a human. And he says this is, this is more than just the external act. It starts in the heart. It starts in the heart. Last week, our focus was adultery. Now remember what adultery is. It's anybody that is married that has sexual relationships with someone outside of that marriage covenant. So that was what adultery was. This I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery in his heart. In his heart. And that looks, if you remember, was in the present tense, continues to look, continues to lust upon. And I use the word oogle, that you're oogling, you're constantly embellishing this thought in your mind. And then Jesus included into this, he's going to include it particularly this week, sexual immorality. And if you remember sexual immorality in the King James is fornication. It was like fornication. I was wondering, always wondering what that was when I was little. I mean, fornication, it sounds like it's terrible, but... But now I know it is terrible. It's, the word is pornea, and it's any sexual act outside the marriage covenant. And you cannot believe how many people are confused about this. So I've elucidated made this as clear as I possibly can. It includes adultery, premarital sex, running around sex, living together sex, pornography sex, bestiality, anything that you can think of outside the marriage covenant. And Jesus is serious about this. If you remember, he said, cut it out. Stop it. Don't do it. It's so important that you could poke out your right eye. Cut off your right hand. It is better to enter into this world without those things. And then he says to go to hell or Gehenna. And you remember what Gehenna is. It is the garbage dump outside of Jerusalem. And it stunk and it smelled and it burned and it sizzled. And the picture is just awful. He's not literally saying, cut off your eye or cut off your hand or poke out your eye. Or we'd be all walking around, like I said, with a patch or with an arm and that sort of thing, because we're all guilty to some extent. But we did learn this, that continual, habitual, unrepentant sin is an indicator that someone is not genuine. Someone is not genuine. Someone is not a real believer. And then again, I emphasize, it's not about our goodness, What kind of good person that we are. Look at I will grant it to you. There are good people that are in this world. They help other people and they help ladies across the street. And, and, you know, we have people that do driveways and that's a good people, but our righteousness is as filthy rags. There's nothing that we can do to ingratiate ourselves to a holy God who is holy, just perfect. And I don't think that we get it how depraved we are in the state that we're in, in this flesh state that we're in. We're constantly battling our sinful nature. It is something that we will fight until we die. God is holy. And again, we have no idea of the degree of holiness that he is. He dwells in what the scripture says is resplendent light. First John 1.5 says, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. No scotia at all. That is the word for darkness. No evil, no unhappiness, no ruin in God at all. And the light depicts His holiness and His purity. And believe me, no one can stand in the presence of this holiness of God without instantly being incinerated. Instantly being incinerated. And Jesus had to veil His deity in order to be here and walk among us as people. And He did that. Jesus knows the darkness of this world, folks. Jesus knows what it's like to be here. Jesus experienced this thing. We have a Savior that knows everything that you're going through. And think about this the disciples got a sneak peek of the glory of God on the Mount of Transfiguration in in Matthew chapter 17. In Matthew chapter 17, Jesus kind of strips away his outer coating. And his glory shines through, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And the inner circle, Peter, James, and John were with him on the Mount of Transfiguration. They witnessed this sight, and Peter, full of exuberance, full of excitement, says, oh, let's build booths. This is the Feast of Tabernacles. Surely, Messiah is coming back. He's going to set up his kingdom. Let's do that. And while he's going through all of these machinations, Peter There's a word that comes from heaven that shakes these disciples to the core. They hear the voice of God and that voice permeates their being. It says, this is my beloved son, whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And that is what we are doing today. We are listening to the beloved son, whom the father is well pleased. And the cry of the spirit is hear him, hear him, hear him. Now, we also went through this. We know that as Christians, we sin. Anybody here perfect? <laughs> if you haven't been listening to me, if you think you're perfect, no, you're not perfect. But still, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1. We have been saved. We've been born again. Jesus' righteousness has been credited to us. So we are now looked upon by the Father as, he, as Jesus looks at his Son, Holy and pure and righteous. It's all because of the blood of Jesus. It's nothing with us. We are not holy and pure and righteous people. It has been credited to us. That's a legal term. That's a legal declaration. Jesus' righteousness has been credited to you, and we do not understand the gravity of that. I don't think we can embrace it, but it is the truth. And then we learn that sin starts in the heart. Whether it's murder, adultery, gossip, gluttony, jealousy, vanity, greed, whatever your thing is, it starts in the heart. And so we were told to guard your heart and stop making excuses and to repent and deal with the issues that are, that are permeating your life. Now, last time we talked about murder and we talked about adultery. And Jesus will teach us this week about divorce and oaths. And remember, every time we've, we're going through one of these sections, but this I say to you, but this I say to you, hear, hear what the Spirit is saying to you. He starts in verse 31 and 32 with divorce. Furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him put her, let her give her a certificate of divorce. This is what Moses did. This was the Mosaic law. This was because of their hardness of their heart. They could just give a certificate and cast the woman aside. But Jesus says these words, But this I say to you, that whoever divorces his wife for any reason, now this is pretty significant, any reason except for sexual immorality, pornea causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Now these are some strenuous words particularly in a culture today where divorce is rampant, rampant. Now there's two, you need to know some background here. There's two Jewish schools of thought on divorce. One was conservative and one was liberal. Halil was the liberal interpretation. He gave the liberal interpretation. Just about anything that you want, any reason you can conjure up as a man, you could give the certificate of divorce and be done with your wife. Shammai was the conservative one. He he was the strict interpreter, and he said, "No, no, 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 no! It's only for adultery. It's only for adultery." And both of them are referring to Deuteronomy chapter twenty-four, verse. has the following now? This is Moses reading in the Torah, when a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that that he finds no that she finds no favor in his eyes. Emphasize that. Plant that in your minds. No favor in his eyes. His eyes. Because he has found some uncleanness in her and he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house. Now, can you imagine the devastation to a Jewish woman in those days when a husband capriciously walks up to her and whimsically just hands her a certificate of divorce and says, Be gone be gone woman be gone and she has no place to go she's devastated she this is the she, she she doesn't have anything everything is for the man and Jesus is going to protect this God is going to protect women listen to this and Deuteronomy 24 1 the key thing to focus on like I said is no favor that means no loveliness charm she or he simply doesn't like her anymore Or someone else has caught his eye, and he just wants to get rid of her. Uncleanness is this. Nudity, shame, disgrace, a blemish, a defect, a foul thing. So if your wife gets old, starts getting a little wrinkly, gets a little heavy, okay? Starts to look a little strange to you, just cast her away. Get a certificate of divorce and just get rid of her. The school of allele, anything that displeased the man... You could get rid of her and give her a, have a rabbi write a divorce, a certificate of divorce. And in the presence of two witnesses, go to her and say, out of my house. How incredibly evil is that? That is an amazing thing. But Shammai says, oh, no, it's only for adultery. It's only for adultery. Remember what Jesus said in, in Matthew 19:6. What God has joined together, every time you see a marriage ceremony, what God has joined together, let no man put us under. Let no man separate. Most societies in human nature, who do you think are going to follow, Shammai or Hillel? It would be Hillel. We get what we want. I want my way. It was a patriarchal society, and anything that the man wanted, he got. And remember, God protects women. Jesus protected women. How many times have you heard that Christianity is oppressive to women? And I'm here to tell you that Christianity has set women free. You go to Islam, you go to Hinduism, you go to other cultures where other religions dominate, and women are still walking behind the man. Women have no place in the culture, have no voice. Jesus protected women. Jesus elevated the state of women And Jesus, by the way, had many women helping him all the way to the cross. And those were the ones that were most loyal to Jesus. When all the disciples fled except for John, the women were there. And these guys had scattered like ants, scared to death. But the women were with him. Oh, no. Jesus's view on divorce will be expanded. He will say it's not simply adultery, but it's sexual immorality. And he's doing this to protect women. Jesus says the only cause for divorce is sexual immorality. Now let me remind you what that is. In case you've forgotten. Adultery. Incest. Homosexuality. Bestiality. Pornography. Pornography could be be something. The tragedy of sexual immorality is that it's between a husband and a wife. And the oneness. The oneness of that union is broken. That is the tragedy. God hates divorce. Let me say that again. Malachi 2.6. God hates divorce. Think about how much he hates divorce. The ten northern tribes of Israel had gone into idolatry, prostituted themselves with false gods, and prophet after prophet warned them. God was drawing them back to himself, drawing them back to himself. They said, no, no, no. And then, after hundreds of years, finally, he divorced the 10 northern tribes and they went into Assyrian captivity. Her sister Judah, the 10 northern tribes' sister Judah, who saw what happened to them, they prostituted themselves. They went into Babylonian captivity, but because of the Davidic covenant, God did not divorce them, but separated himself. And he says, I will not go into captivity with you. And if you read Ezekiel chapter 8 and 9, the Spirit of God departs from the nation of Israel as they go into Babylonian captivity. But I want you to think about this. Particularly for you who have suffered through divorce. Divorce is not the unpardonable sin. I want to mention that now, and I will expand on that later. It is not the unpardonable sin. Oftentimes in the church, there's such such an awfulness associated with it that people elevate this to to like almost the worst thing. And it is not. You know, there's a lot of Christians that are gossiping and have greed and lust and that sort of thing. Sin is sin. John Corson makes a statement about this in his commentary. And I thought this was interesting. He says, make no mistake, quote, God's desire is that a man and a woman be wed for life. No mistake. That's what God's desire is. to become one flesh for life until death separates. That's God's standard. Those who divorce and remarry in effect are committing adultery. If the parties genuinely repent, change their mind, turn around, they can be forgiven. And then John says this, I do not believe they are living in lifelong adultery. Folks, Hear this loud and clear. The only unforgivable sin in Scripture is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Matthew 12, 31. All manner of sin. Now, how many manner of sins is all? All manner of sin is forgiven. All men except blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And you know what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is? It's the final rejection of Jesus Christ as your Savior. Jesus is dealing with the leadership in the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel's leadership reached the point where they were ascribing to him, casting out demons as being a work of Satan. You do this by Beelzebub in in Matthew chapter 12. And Jesus says, this is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. This was your last chance. You've rejected me, the Messiah, the one who could save you. And after Matthew chapter 12, you know what Jesus starts doing? He starts teaching in parables. Makes it harder for people to to understand what he's saying. If you really want me, he starts getting into deeper teaching and things that if you really want to understand what he's saying, you're going to have to really follow me and dig into this. The Holy Spirit, folks, will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And he convicts them of their sin, of their need for a Savior. And I believe somehow, some way, the Spirit of God imparts to every human being their need for a Savior. All over the world, I think that he's working in the hearts and minds of people that your God is false. There's another God out there besides the Hindu, Hindu gods. There's another God out there besides, besides Allah. There is the true God, Jehovah, and there's a son, Jesus Christ. I think somehow he's doing that. And folks, if Jesus is rejected, if you think your way is the right way, and I'm just going to ignore what Jesus said, being I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no man can come with the the Father but by me. If you want to ignore that, and you stiff-arm the Holy Spirit, and it's just not one time that you're doing this. It could be for years, and it could be for decades and decades and decades that people stiff-arm the Holy Spirit and say, no, I will have my way. I'm a good person. This religious path will get me to heaven. Folks, that is not true. Based on the Word of God, based on Jesus' own words, that is not true. There's one way to God, and that's through Jesus. You cannot stiff-arm the Spirit of God. Now, if there is infidelity in the marriage, please hear this. If there's infidelity in marriage, it doesn't mean that you have to get divorced. God is all about forgiveness and reconciliation. Had the 10 northern tribes, after hundreds of years and many, many opportunities, had they repented and turned to God, he would have forgiven them. So that is the goal for any marriage relationships, to stay united. I understand that sometimes that can't happen, but that is the goal. Now, another thing that Jesus does not address, and I don't think he's addressing all the issues of divorce here. He's just dealing with the Mosaic law and the hardness of the people's hearts. But he does not address this, physical, emotional, and spiritual abuse that is so common today. That people have to live through, mostly women, but men can be abused too. No one, and let me say this, I do not believe that anyone should live in an abusive situation. Get out, get safe, at least get separated from that thing until there can be healing in the relationship. Some believe this. 1 Corinthians 7.15, if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such case. Now hear this. There are many Bible teachers that teach this and believe this. The abuser is acting as a departing unbeliever. If this is the case, the abused is not under bondage and can divorce. Let me expand on this a little bit more. Another person says this, and he writes an article, God hates divorce. Quote, abuse is when a marriage crosses a line from relationship to enslavement. Marriage is meant to reflect Christ and his church. However, when the picture begins to look like Pharaoh and the Israelites, now remember, Pharaoh was the, was the was was the Egyptian leader, and Israel was was were slaves for 400 years and brutalized in in Egypt. When it starts to look like that, there's a serious problem. A woman beaten, verbally assaulted, cut off from friends, and financially isolated is no longer a wife but a slave. So there's some. Uh, Thoughts at least have to be given to abuse. Uh, I would say certainly at least separate. And I'm not to the point where divorce is something you should do. But, folks, abuse is awful. And no one should live in that situation. Now, there are specific, undeniable, unquestionable reasons for divorce in Scripture. There are three. Number one, sexual immorality. Jesus taught that. Death of a spouse. Romans seven two and desertion of the unbelieving spouse who physically leaves the marriage, and then the add-on, who some believe, physical, emotional, or spiritual abuse, the spouse has left the marriage. Now, more thoughts on divorce. Please hear this. We know, and you know, everyone knows, either you've been through divorce, you know somebody that's been through divorce, it has permeated all of our lives. It is something that is, that is just innate to this world that we're living in. In 2013, a man named Rich Morin from the Pew Research did, did, wrote an article. And his article was this, Is divorce contagious? Now, I shared this information about 10 years ago or so when we were across the street. And I looked it up, and lo and behold, I found it, and it says this, The divorce of a friend or a close relative dramatically increases the chances that you too will be divorced. The study participants were 75% more likely to be divorced if a friend or a family member is divorced and 33% more likely to end their marriage if a friend of a friend gets divorced. Now, if it goes to the next level, it doesn't affect the person. But can you see what is going on? People are sensing that it's socially acceptable to do this. And so what p- many people are doing in their marriages, well, Sally did this, and Bill did this, and they seem to be doing okay with this, and, and I, I'm not going to settle. I'm not going to put up with this anymore. We've fallen out of love, and this just isn't, isn't working out, and that sort of thing, and I'm going to go to greener pastures. Well, let me suggest to you that the greener pastures are not so green. Let me give you the next bit of information. A physician, Mark Banschik, wrote an article in Psychology Today about the statistics of second and third marriages, and he came up with this, 50% of the first marriages end in divorce, 67% of the second ones end in divorce, and 73% of the third ones end up in divorce. Now, why aren't people learning? You would think that you would learn from your first divorce and the statistics should get better. You're looking for a different partner, a different type of person. Well, he says this, the second and third marriages, those people who consider divorce, consider consider it manageable. They've made it through the tragedy the first time. Hey, if I don't like this situation, I can just sweep it away again. And it becomes so disposable and so easy. And it seems that the church has blended with the world and has the same reasoning. Folks, God has made one man and one woman for life. He has done that. There are biblical reasons for divorce, but they are few. Now remember this. When you have gotten married, and I think marriage is a very important union, it is what God recognizes for a man and a woman to live together, okay? It is a covenant relationship that you are making. Between the couple and God. I make a covenant that I will be true to my bride until I'm taken off of earth. She's making the same covenant promise to God. So the promise is to God. I make the promise to my bride. She makes it to me. And then all the witnesses. That's why it's important to have a a real wedding. All the witnesses witness this covenantal promise that is being made. So it's very serious. So the important thing is everybody in here that's married knows this. It's not easy. You're marrying another sinner. You're marrying somebody else that's just as selfish as you are. And it's going to take work. Marriage takes work. But you must make marriage your highest priority. And I would suggest to you, if you have a biblical marriage where the husband and the wife are fulfilling their roles... Your marriage cannot just survive limping to the finish line. And we're going to make this. We're going to get to die and be done with this woman or this man, okay? No, that is not the picture. You don't want to just survive. You want your marriage to thrive. And it can if you do things God's way. It'll still be hard. Okay? It'll still be hard. Let's, Let's just be honest. But it can be much better than doing it your way. So what will help you survive or what will help you to thrive? Well, I have a few pictures here. Number one, you, husband and wife, as you grow in Christ and you grow closer to Jesus, you will grow closer to one another. Far away from Jesus, far away from one another. Both of you grow, both of you closer. Now, if one of them grows and the other one stays where they are, you're not closer you're not closer. This has to be in tandem. This has to be the team. Otherwise, the distance stays the same. Now, the next one I want to show you is that it's very important in your marriage relationship, the covenant relationship that you have made with God and that you've made with your bride or your husband is to be the most important relationship that you have on earth. God first And if I knew how to do this, I would put husband here, because there's an order, and then wife, okay? So God, husband, and wife, this is your circle. This is your boundary. Everything else is outside of here. There will be forces trying to come in here to disrupt your your marriage. Now, there can be good things that are out here. Notice that your children aren't mentioned in here. Your children are important. But the children, how many people know this? Your kids will use one parent against the other. Okay, because what are your kids? Their kids are sinners, and they want their way. That's basically what humans want. So they're going to the child school of Hillel to teach them how to do this. Well, okay. But anyway, sports would be out here. Not bad, but it could take you away from your your priority, hobbies, your work, any type of relationship. But notice who's outside this circle also. Parents, mother-in-laws. Father-in-laws, brothers, sisters, all make inputs in here. Some could be good, but sometimes they're not so good. So the main priority is this. And then finally, the next slide is that this isn't actually a perfect slide, how I would have developed it, but I got it from somebody on on a website. But this is the foundation of your life, obedience to God, spouse, children, and self. This is your real, the center of everything here. Notice where you're up here. You're giving, giving, giving. Then it's the church, and then it's work. You can have this some order, any order that you want. But there's other things that happen up here. This is the foundation. This is the most important. Your church life is important also, but it's really not as important as as your nucleus that you have with a husband, wife, God, and children. That's an important concept to remember. So with that stated, hear the rest of the story. Most of you guys are actually listening, so I don't have to say come back, okay? (laughs) So this this is important. Know your God-given role. Know your God-given role. So men, your marching orders are these. These are from God to you. This isn't from your wife telling you to love her as Christ loved the church. You're not loving me right, Rick. You're not loving me right, Pat. You're not loving me right, whoever you... No, it is from God to the person. God to the person. Ephesians 25, 25. Husbands, this is your job. This is your priority of life. Second to God. Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave, watch this, gave himself for her. That's important. That love your wives is written in the present tense. It's a present imperative. What does that mean? Imperative is a command. I think most of you know that by now. Present tense, it's ongoing. So this is an ongoing love. It is a command given to the husbands to love the wife. Now, this is important because your wife is not always going to be lovable. Now, you realize that, don't you? If you're being honest, she's not always going to be lovable. She's not always going to be someone that you'd like to be around and that sort of thing. But you are to love her as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. 528. Husbands ought to love their own wives. You stay in your circle, love your own wives, don't give attention to other women. As their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Now, hear this. Hear this. What does this mean? Husbands are to nourish and cherish their wives, provide for and protect their wives. In three areas, spiritually, men, you are to be the head, the priest of your home, to lead the home spiritually. How many homes in America are led by the women? Because the men have abdicated their responsibility, the vast majority. So spiritually, emotionally, and physically. In doing so, hear this, men, when you do this, You will help her to fulfill her role of submitting to you. That role will not be easy and will be expanded on more in just a second. Husbands are to nourish and cherish their wives, provide for and protect them. Now, remember, men, you have a curse that has been put upon you from Adam. And what was that? Your work. Everything's going to be one big, hard mess. Cursed is the ground in toil you shall eat of it, thorns and thistles and the sweat of your faiths, Genesis 3:17 through 19. Men, what God is asking you to do is to have sacrificial love. He's actually demanding, He's commanding you to do this, to put your wife first above all other interest in life. Hobbies, sports, and by all means, video games, for this culture, it's video games. I can't tell you the number of young men that are stuck in a bedroom or in a closet someplace watching video games in nauseam. That's just one of the things. Video games, recreation, put her above yourself. Now, it isn't that you can't have these things. You can be on a softball team. You can play video games. But you can't do it to the exclusion of your bride and your family. That's the issue. You're to put your wife first, work for her, supply the needs of the family. This is your responsibility. Just a little side note here. The man is to be the breadwinner of the family. However, a wife can help with this. Proverbs 31, 24. Everyone knows Proverbs 31. It's the the miracle woman. It's the woman that, oh man, where does she live? I mean, goodness gracious. Yes. She makes garments and sells them. And supply sashes for merchants so she can help her husband out. But husbands, do not abdicate your responsibility. Your responsibility is to provide for the family, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Now, also men, be sensitive to the needs of your wife, her feelings and her fears. 1 Peter 3.7, husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding. Dwell with them. What does this mean? Know your wife. Now, there are so many men that have been married for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years and don't know their wife. Know what makes her tick. Know what, what things she likes and dislikes. Take time for her. Make her your number one priority under God. Look, none of us is going to pull this off perfect. Why? We're sinners. We're, by the time we're perfect, we're in heaven. So don't take it so hard. I mean, but, but there's, there's just just remember, it's, it's direction, not perfection. Direction, not perfection. So be in the growth process. Women, I'm going to speak something to you. W- women, uh, let's see, let me see this. Be sensitive. Men, you must know this. And for women, this is for you. The woman's greatest fear, and tell me if this isn't, tr- this isn't true, is to be treated like an object taken advantage of, part of the furniture. Oh, she makes a good maid. I like the way she cleans up after me. No, no, that's, that's, she's afraid of that. A woman's greatest need is to be loved and cared for. God knew this. And you love her by providing for her, protecting her, nourishing her, and cherishing her. She is your number one priority under god in your life that is your job now women you're up to bat god's word to you now for women i've 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 heard very few women say you should love me like christ loved the church but i've heard a lot of christian men with toxic christianity say to the woman submit to me woman i am the man and you must submit to me now, this is God's word to the woman, not God's word to the man to tell the woman. Okay? So toxic Christianity is when the man is leveraging emotional stress on the woman, telling her to submit. That is not his role. Your role is to simply love her as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Ephesians 5, 22 and 23. Wives, submit to your own husband's. As to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, there's an order, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Now, that wives submit to your own husband is, again, is a present imperative. This is not an option. It is ongoing, present tense. It's an imperative. It's a command from God. Now, this is important when you feel like it or when you don't feel like it. I don't feel like submitting today. I don't care what this guy does. I'm going to be in charge of the house today. Uh-huh. No, when you feel like it and you don't feel. When he's a lazy slug and not doing anything. When he's a lazy slug, you are to be submitted to him. The word submit is hupotasso. You know the, this word. Hupotasso. It means to place under. To place under the headship of your husband's leadership. Now, this is important. If a husband loves his wife. As Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, this will make it easier for her to submit, but it will always be hard for her to submit. You, why is that? Her curse. It goes back to her curse. Genesis 3.16. Remember Eve's curse. In pain you shall bring forth children, and the husband shall rule over you. Now, you know pain in childbirth. Anybody that's had a baby? That hurts. We can't identify with it. We get kidney stones to try to identify with it or a root canal without numbing or whatever it is. We cannot identify with the discomfort that the woman goes through. But it's interesting that of all the mammals on earth, not all of them, but I think there's a couple outliers, but women have the hardest and most difficult labors. For a woman, the average time is 24 hours. For a dog, it's about an hour. For cattle, two to three hours. And for horses, it's about 30 minutes. So women, that's part of your curse, the pain of childbirth. But it's not just that. You are the nurture and the raiser of those kids. And those kids are little sinners. And they're going to be disappointing to you all through your life. That's just the truth of it. There's going to be stress and strain and difficulty raising the kids. But the big point here is, is point number two. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Now, this is a problem because we were made in Genesis 127 to co-rule. Theocratic administrative rule was given to the husband and the wife, but this is part of her curse. This is part of her curse. And what she's going to be dealing with is continual, unremittent challenge in embracing the husband's role as the leader. It's, it's going to be part of her DNA. She's going to be struggling with, I got to let this guy, I mean, he can't do anything right. I mean, why, he, I can't, why is he doing it that way? I can't believe he's doing Can't he see that's not going to work? Those types of things. His, his, your desire is going to be be to, to take over. Remember this That same word desire is written in, in Genesis 4-7, talking about the sin that Cain had. He wanted to kill his brother Abel. Abel brought the acceptable sacrifice. Cain brought the one that was rejected. Cain was jealous. Cain, he was angry. wanted to kill Abel. God knew this. So his desire for sin sin to master Cain. Sin is knocking at your door, Cain. God speaking to, to Cain. And you must master it. The woman will desire to master her husband. She will have a desire to take over, to run over him, to master him. But they must resist this. Women, you must resist this tendency. Even if he's a slug. Even if he doesn't do things right, there's going to be that tendency to want to run over him. Women, you must know this. A man's greatest fear is to be dominated or ruled over or mastered by a woman. That's an innate fear that a man has. Secondly, to be found inadequate. Look, if we we feel inadequate, let's just be honest. Strip away the machismo Strip away the tattoos and strip away the muscles. and so We feel inadequate. And we compensate by strutting like roosters, you know, that sort of thing. No, we feel inadequate. That's why most men's love languages is words of affirmation. Words of affirmation. Women, you can crush your husband or you can lift your husband up by your words, by your action, by your look. And you know, most of you know what I'm talking about. You can just give a look. A wise woman will choose their words carefully. Help your husband love you as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. What do we see in our world today? Eve's curse being carried out all over. Women are encouraged to rule over their husband. Women are encouraged to work and many times support their husband, who then takes on the role that the woman had as the caregiver. Men have been emasculated in our post-Christian world. And folks, it's, listen to this. Men have ceded, C-E-D-E-D, or given up their ruling authority. Why? Because they're lazy. They have assumed a passive role in the home and our society. This is not as God has ordained it. If men and women fulfill your roles, men and women fight for your marriage. Remember, your marriage is a picture of Christ in the church. Your marriage can thrive and not just survive. A brief comment on oaths. I'm not going to read the scripture. We read it. I'm just going to comment on it. First of all, Jesus is talking about giving oaths in a capricious, whimsical manner. Oaths this is it means this. This is meant to stop deceptive promises, deceptive oaths, to skirt around the truth. I swear. I swear in the Bible. I remember when you were little, I swear on my mother's grave. My mother's 27 years old, and I'm six, and I swear on my mother's grave. She's old, and I can't hear yeah. yeah. Scripture doesn't actually condemn oaths. It's the flippant use of oaths that violates, the, violates the, the, the thing that God is saying here. John MacArthur puts it perfectly. In that culture, oaths were often employed for deceptive purposes, to make a victim believe they were being told the truth. Jews would swear by heaven, earth, Jerusalem, their own heads, but not by God, because that was taking the Lord's name in vain. Disciples of Christ must be characterized by the truth. We speak the truth. Jesus' followers are under oath, under, responsi- uh, under his cover. We submit to him at all times to tell the truth. Let your yes be yes, and your no be no, For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Because the intimation here is that if you're giving an oath, you're trying to skirt around the truth. No, we are the people of God and we speak the truth. Now closing, Jesus is continuing to teach believers how to live in this dark world. We're kingdom of God people. We're living in a kingdom of darkness. And he's showing us how to live by this, by the Sermon on the Mount. And folks remember this, we are the people of God. Each one of us have been called by his name. We've been washed in his blood. We belong to him. And we are not to take on the world's values, morals, any values or ways of the world. We are a called out peculiar. That's what scripture calls us. Peculiar people. And by the way, when someone looks at you and says, oh, you're peculiar. You're weird. You believe that stuff? You are weird. Journal it, write it down. Great day today, called weird, praise God. I'm looking different than the world. 1 Peter 2.9 says this, You're a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a peculiar people. That you should show forth the promises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. What does this mean to me? In this world, what does this mean to me? Philippians 1.27, whatever happens. Whatever, whatever happens. And I'm not going like whatever happens. I'm going whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That is what we're called to do as the people of God. As the people of God, we are different from the people of this world. Our marriages are under God and submission to God. And folks, the world is watching. Marriage is a ministry to your spouse. Remember that. Your number one ministry in in, in your circle of earthly influence is to your spouse. To your spouse. We do not give in to the world's ways. And we do not give up. Give in and give up. Fight. Fight for your marriages. This world is tearing marriages apart. This world is telling you it's okay to move on to greener pastures. And you know, they're not greener pastures. They're burnt out pastures. pastors, Past- <laughs> <laughs> burnt-out pastors too. <laughs> there are reasons in scripture to dissolve marriage. Moses permitted divorce out of the hardness of their hearts in Matthew 19.8. Marriage cannot be dissolved for just any reason. It isn't, I'm tired of this person. It isn't that this person wasn't the person I thought they were going to be. Join the club. Every single marriage, I didn't think they were going to be like this. That's just the way it is. If you get in any type of premarital counseling, they might as well just tell you the truth right out of the gate. This is the way it is. Don't use this word. I'm not going to settle. She's too fat. He's a slob. They're all wrinkly. I fell out of love. This wasn't what I expected marriage to be. Well, duh, it's not what anybody expects. We're, bring, we're bringing together a couple sinful people. But it can be greater than anything you imagined. If you're under God, If you do it his way. It can be the most wonderful thing. It won't always be wonderful, but it can, generally it can be wonderful. Remember Jesus said these, the reasons for, the scripture says the reason for, for divorce. Sexual immorality, desertion of the unbelieving spouse, death of a spouse, and some would include physical, emotional, and spiritual abuse. Now, for this last second here, write the following on the doorpost of your mind. I'm going to show you some slides here. John Barnett gave a talk on God's structure. And John Barnett, by the way, was was the pastor of Calvary Bible in Kalamazoo. This guy is a phenomenal teacher. He now teaches people groups, people groups out the world to be able to minister to their own people but if you ever get a chance go to the internet john barnett phenomenal teacher so the next one is god's structure and this slide is here god's plan as you know husband will hold off on this husband wife and children now with many families it's the wife that's running the show the children are under the wife and the husband is out here in no man's land abandoning his responsibility now the next one so the consequences a lot of times there's a lot of resentment here conflict stress tension within the children and Mr. Clem Cadellhopper here is withdrawn with passivity playing his computer games maybe getting in a little pot little alcohol little activities on the salt playing on 15 softball teams golfing Every moment of the day, he can, and just divorcing himself from the family, that is not the structure that God ordained. Next thing, this has crawled, this has creeped into the church. So the next slide. Many churches have developed an out of balance view of Scripture because it has become culturally the norm. It has come into the church, and I believe this is to be wrong. This is not congruent with Scripture. Women pastors, women elders, wife-led homes. Folks, we are under God, and the people of God must do things God's way. We glorify God, we honor God, we are a witness to the world when we obey God. Remember, this is my beloved son, whom I am well pleased. Listen to him, hear him. Hear the Spirit speaking to you the truth on these things. God has a defined order for a reason. No freelancing. There's order in the Godhead. There's order in the angelic realm. We've gone through this, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the angelic realm, cherubim, seraphim, all these things that we put up here the other week. There's order in the home. There's order in the church. Folks, there's order on a team. There's order at work. There's order in the universe. God is a God of order. Not chaos. Not freelancing. To thrive in your marriage or your relationship with God, obey what he says. Carry out your role in marriage. This will glorify God. Your marriage can be a witness to the world. That's what you want it to be, a witness to the world. You can be good or bad witness, depending on how your marriage is. Now, my hopes for this teaching... This is not an easy teaching. This is not something that I would have picked out of the preaching bag. Adultery and divorce. I would have not gone there. would not touched this with a 10-foot pole because it always affects somebody. Stabs them in the heart, and they get mad, and they don't like you, and that sort of thing. I, don't, I want to be like, just like everybody else. But I have to speak the truth. So I hope that you have some more clarifications on the reasons for divorce. Remember, God hates divorce. I hope you've been given some insight on what a biblical marriage looks like. That your roles have been clarified. That you know what your role is and then carry out your role. And that you will have a marriage that is under God, that glorifies God, done God's way. And that your marriage thrives. Have a thriving marriage. Look, we go through this one time. Carry out your role. Make it the best marriage you can possibly make it. That the world may know, folks, that we are different. That the world may know we are different, a peculiar people. We are the people of God. We are not the people of the world. We are not like the Gentiles who do whatever they want. We are not like the heathens. We are the people of God. And that the world may know that you have been with Jesus. When you do things these way, it's so counter to the world that they must know that you have been with Jesus. That the world may know. And I I just put this up here. As you go home today, that the world may know. Oh, that Jesus makes a difference. He really does. He makes a difference. That your marriage is a witness to the world. That the world may know. That the world may know that Jesus really, really, really does make a difference in our lives. Let's live for him. Let's do it God's way. And let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together. I know this has been some difficult teaching here for the last couple of weeks. And uh, Lord, I thank you that you speak truth to our hearts. Lord, open our spiritual eyes and ears to what you want us to hear. And may we hear the Father's voice say to us, this is my beloved Son, who I am well pleased. Hear Him. Hear Him. Listen to Him. Holy Spirit, may we hear these words today. May we take them into our heart. And may we live them out. We cannot live them out by making promises. We cannot live them out by promising to be really good, really good, really good. And I'll swear I'll change. But we can do this when we actually implement the things that we need to do to change. We need to be in your word. Walking according to your precepts. Doing what your word says. May we be the people of God. Peculiar to this world but glorifying you in what we do. Thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen.